Welcome to the Parent Guide to Education podcast. Today's guest is Harry Smith, who is an author and consultant for publishers of educational resources. He's perfectly qualified to answer the question, what's your examiners looking for? Uh, evening all. Good evening. Excellent. I made it work. I've been having some slight tech issues behind the scenes, but no one will ever know because, you know, oh no, wait. <laughs> So we're here this evening and we're talking about uh, what examiners are looking for, kind of how to revise, how to get your child ready for those all important exams. Because I know for a lot of you, those are starting to feel really close at this point. So as we record this, I probably cut this bit out of the podcast, honestly. But as we record this, we're sort of mid-January, which means exams are this year if you're in year 11, which suddenly feels real. So we uh, have brought along an expert to answer lots of questions and give us lots of useful tips and things. I'm going to let him introduce himself. So, Harry, would you like to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Please? Hi, uh, my name's Harry Smith. Um, I'm a author and consultant for uh, publishers on educational resources. So for the past 25 years, I've been uh, writing, uh, editing, originating a uh, textbooks and for the last 15 years I've been concentrating almost exclusively on revision um, across all subjects. So I'm the series editor for Pearson's Revision Resources. Uh, I'm also the series editor for the BBC Bite Size Printed Revision Resources. Uh, I'm also the author of uh, uh, a handful of, uh, I say a handful, quite a lot of uh, maths uh, revision guides and revision resources and some maths A-level textbooks and GCSE textbooks as well. Um, and generally spend my time uh, poring over examiners' reports and uh, past papers and thinking about and talking to students about what really works with revision, what doesn't work, what resources can best support them in their revision, um, and generally trying to be as helpful as possible. Um, I should say I don't work for, although most of the resources I write uh, most recently have been for Pearson, I don't actually work for Pearson or any of the other uh, exam boards. Um, I work on my own, so uh, that's the the, the 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 disclaimer. Everything here is my opinion. <laughs> Excellent. So basically, there are probably parents listening or, or watching this right now who can go and find one of your resources sat on a shelf in their child's room. Hopefully, very well used. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's always quite a nice little. Ooh, I know him. I've seen him on a thing. Awesome. So. Let's kick in with some of the good stuff, but it's also worth noting that if you're watching this on Facebook and you've got some questions, if you pop them into the comments, we should hopefully see those ping up and we should be able to try and work our way through some of your questions as well. So please make sure you do that if you're here live, even if you just want to say hi, that would be lovely. Uh, so let's start with the, uh, the big one, the one that everybody asks, English. How do we answer English questions, particularly the sort of the more extended ones? Mm -hmm. Well, and English has always been a sort of slightly trickier subject to revise for. Um, and in association with that, it's a tricky subject to produce revision resources for. Um, I think the thing, one thing that's, I think, important to think about in English is, to, is let's break down whether we're talking about language or literature, because as with all of the subjects, almost the key to to, to figuring out your revision is is like figuring out what you mentioned, what the examiners are looking for. But fortunately, we, we get given that information because um, the exam boards will tell us what their assessment objectives are. So they're telling you how they're, how they're assessing your answer. 
So uh, you can actually go away and, 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 and break down, and good revision resources will do this for you, um, will break down exactly what assessment objectives are being tackled in which parts of which papers, and in some cases, right down to the, like, the question level. Um, so, for example, in English language, you can, uh, you can, you know what the examiners are looking for on, you know, question one of the paper, question two of the paper, question three of the paper. So you're able to sort of focus your answer in a bit on that. Um, so that's, I suppose that's the exam technique side of the equation. Um, and then on the other side of the equation, there's the sort of subject knowledge, subject content side of the equation. Um, and I, I, I suppose my biggest piece of advice across all subjects when you're thinking about exam prep is that the, the subject knowledge, familiarity with the material part of it will always trump the exam technique part of it. The exam technique is a great thing to have. It's, uh, you know, people talk about tips and tricks, but there aren't really any instant shortcuts. Um, what they are, are ways in which you can really demonstrate your subject knowledge and your technique. You can be really hampered if you don't know like if you, the, 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 the tips and tricks, if you haven't looked into, looked at the papers and figured out that if the question says uh, compare, then I have to compare one thing with another thing. If you haven't spotted that in the question, it doesn't matter how good you are at Shakespeare or how good you are at 19th century literature or how well you know Christmas Carol, it doesn't matter because if you've only written about one of the two things that you're being asked to compare, you're completely hamstrung. So, um, the question, how do you revise? So I suppose, given that I've mentioned two strands, I should probably talk about two different parts of the revision process. So in terms of the content, um, so taking English literature as an example, the, the thing that you can do that is probably the most helpful thing you can do when preparing for English literature is, what do you think I'm going to say? Read, read. the book. Read the plays. Um, read them early and then read them again. Read them and then listen to the audiobook and then read them again. You know, you might not be able to read through, you might not, you know, read all of Jane Eyre twice in your in year 10 and year 11, but if you've read it once, then you've listened to the audiobook and then you've watched the TV adaptation, it's going to be really deeply ingrained. Mm. Um, the same is true of, uh, you know, the plays. Read the play once, but then read some summaries of the plays, go and watch it if, if you've got a local theatre that's doing it, or if not, there's tons of uh, digital theatre resources. Amazon Prime is awash with good and less good filmed productions of Shakespeare. But watching a less good one is fine too, because you can think, well, what would I have done differently? Or um, which themes did they bring out? So yes, reading the books, and then I suppose the next level beyond that, and the part where either creating your own revision resources or using bought revision resources really comes into play is breaking down those set texts into the things that you're going to be asked to talk about in the exam. So if, if it's a play or whatever it is, what are the themes that are being explored in that play? What are the character, the main characters in that play? Um, if, if I, I, you know, if I were revising for English literature, I, I, I would take, one of my set texts, you don't have many. And for, for each one, I would make a flashcard for each theme. I would make a flashcard for each character. You're probably only gonna end up with 10 flashcards for each of your set texts. So it's not a huge activity. But then under that theme, I would make sure that on the back of the flashcard, I would have some key quotes or some key sections of the text that, that um, 
illustrate that theme. Because, um, you know, the new English literature or the current English literature exam doesn't allow you to take any of those set texts into the exam with you. Mm. Uh, and so a lot of people often worry about um, learning quotes. That's yeah, well, we've idea. got a question that's about that. Oh, there you go, make it stay. How many quotations should you learn for each text? Well, that's a good question because uh, there isn't really a there isn't really a hard and fast answer to it, and actually, uh, good responses are not characterised by how many quotes have been regurgitated from the text, um, and examiners encourage uh, sort of thought language. So if you can't remember um, a specific text, you know, if you can't remember, um, is this a dagger I see before me? You can write um, at the point in the play where Macbeth imagines that he sees a dagger. This happens, or that's really useful to know. Um, you can, or, or, or I mean, it's even more so with 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 mm. prose and with novels. You can describe the events of a particular, or um, you know, when uh, the uh, Bronte describes the fire with. You know, you, even if you could only remember one word or one, uh, then that that is useful to add in. But but you see again and again that that in examiners' reports, um, examiners saying that students have often kind of used a, a quote that they've remembered as a crutch, and it's sort of uh, and characterised their answer around that without really reading the question and responding to the question and thinking, what's the actual how? Do, what do I think about this? If someone's asked me about themes of ambition in Macbeth, um, but I've only remembered, is this a dagger I see before me, then I, I might focus on this and miss all the other, whereas but I might absolutely remember that the witches told him he was going to be, he was going to be uh, Thane and then he was going to be king. And so that's, that's all about revenge. So if the question's asking about revenge, I'm much better off answering the question, even if I can't remember a quote or more than a couple of quotes. Um, if I'm familiar with the book and the or the, the play and the story, I'll remember the events of the story. I'll remember how it made me feel at different points, and I can talk about that in my response. And it will probably be a much more focused response and get more credit than one that just reels off a lot of quotes. I can imagine. Say, sorry, go ahead. I can say, and imagine a student sitting there, uh, they get the quote out, they think, "I remembered it. I'm so happy," and actually forget to address the actual question itself. They've, they think they've bagged the marks by just making sure they have one or two quotes where yeah. that isn't how it works. So, and I think one of the reasons that I would organise my my uh, sort of my revision around themes and characters within the play is because there's no point remembering quotes if you don't know what they're doing. Mm. Uh, I mean, the whole structure of English language is about the the what, how, why model. You know, what's happening, how, well, what's the author trying to do, how are they doing it, and why are they doing it. Um, and if you've, if all you remember is a quote, then you've got, you've got none of the other context and you've got none of the other, um, whereas if you've got, if you've remembered a couple of quotes, um, you know, if you've got ambition on the front of your cue card and on the back, it says, I can't remember what it says, glam thou art and cordor too and shalt be king hereafter. Well, now I've associated that with the theme of ambition. So if I do bring it, so if I see ambition in the exam, I'm probably going to remember the quote, and even if I'm not, if I if I mention that quote, I know why I you, why that was a useful quote. Mm. Yeah, brilliant, and and play, works with a lot of the things that, that we tell students as well. Just um, putting those things together. I mean, particularly audiobooks, 
we talk about a lot because they don't necessarily always think of that. But if you've got a child, particularly if you've got a child who's dyslexic and for whom trying to actually read the text is is just painful and, mm-hmm. and is a, a battle every single time, then the audiobook, stick it in your headphones as you walk to school. Mm-hmm. You'll get through it pretty quickly. So mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of things there that will have made a lot of sense mm. to a lot of people, which is... And if, yeah. as you're listening to an audiobook, as uh, you, you have a reaction to, to what's being said and done. And those are that's actually what the examiners are interested in. Mm-hmm. They're interested in, I mean, the skill is, and this is not an exam trick as much as the subject skill, is how is the author achieving that effect that I'm, that I'm experiencing? How is the author making me feel scared or happy or sad? And so that's that's what you've been studying over the two years of your course. But actually, being familiar with the material and understanding that it is having an effect is a huge part of the battle. Yeah. So uh, as uh, year nine parents, um, our daughter starts year ten in September. Uh, she talked just today actually about how Macbeth is the only book that she knows that she's doing for GCSE. What's, <laughs> what's the advice? What before September? What should she do? Because she's you know she's very studious. She likes to be prepared. Um, what's the top tips? I don't know. I mean, before you, I would I would go and watch the new Denzel Washington version. It's great. Ooh, I like that <laughs> one. I will do that with her. <laughs> um, I think that's the version that was just on Apple TV. Uh, there's or the, or there's the, there's no more. Well, don't watch the Mel Gibson version. You don't like Mel Gibson. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, no, I don't think. I mean, if, if she's even slightly familiar with the story before she starts working on it, she'll be head and shoulders above everybody else anyway. If she's familiar with the story in a way that hasn't already bored her to tears, then even more so. I yeah. I would pity the parents trying to make their kid read a Shakespeare play over the summer between year nine and year 10. It's definitely not gonna happen. No, but if you can put them in front of Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio, you stand a vague chance of them being familiar with the story, yeah. so yeah. Um, and for those of you in the Facebook group, we've quite often in previous years had people say, oh, I've just seen that this is on this particular streaming service or this is on BBC iPlayer or whatever. Yeah. Make sure you catch it. So if you happen uh, to spot listener, watcher, if you happen to spot something that's coming up, do pop it in the group because odds are there are a lot of parents who will be very grateful. And, that's and I mean, filmed adaptations of novels, everything, everything is all really useful uh, precursor knowledge. I mean, obviously, there's no you, you you have to read the text. You're going to be writing about the written text. But uh, if I if I start if I start trying to read a play that I already know roughly what's going on, when I get to those bits that you get to in every Shakespeare play, which is probably about seventy five percent of it, we have no idea what anybody's saying to anybody else. It means that when you pick it up again in the next scene, you're like, okay, no, no, now I'm at the bit where she goes mad and thinks she's got blood on her hands and now I know where I am so that's okay because I remember that bit from the film yeah so it's, it's that wider understanding isn't it and if you if you can get past the barrier of the language which is the case mm-hmm. for a lot of students by having an idea of what's going on then yeah multi- also especially yeah. with plays I mean Shakespeare the, the, there's a lot of stuff in the in the in the the, the specs around uh taking the text in context which doesn't necessarily mean historical context or biographical context it often just means like what are the ideas that the the playwright's trying to explore but for a play you can't get around the fact that it's it was intended to be to be performed and so watch so there is a visual component as well as a a textual component 
Yeah. And it's probably, it's, I mean, I, you know, in, in dream fantasy land, parents would be reading Jane Eyre alongside their, their, their children and, and having like book group discussions about it. But that's, that's probably not going to happen with most of our lives. So why not watch the film together and at least have a 15 minute conversation about what you liked and what you didn't like? Yeah. Or which characters were sympathetic or which characters, it's, all of that is going to open all of those doors. Yeah. And if you're fortunate enough to be anywhere near the RSC, go and see the yeah. RSC actually doing the plays. Cause... Sure, but then it doesn't, I, I, like, as I say, I think there's, you know, there are summer touring Shakespeare companies all over yeah. the country. You don't have to be near, near Stratford yeah, to go true. and see brilliant theatre or near London. Um, there's yeah. plenty to be had. It's a bizarre thing that uh, no matter how old you uh, you end up or how old you get, like uh, me being 52, I still know exactly what I did for O-level. Sorry, I'm that old. Um, and I never, I've never seen Merchant of Venice, even though I studied it. Obviously, that was pre-multimedia yeah. days. Uh, it was all from a book and it's quite dry, but obviously there's yeah. such a rich variety of... Uh, so I remember having to read Tess of the D'Urbervilles for GCSE and that was a that was a torturous thing to give a class of... 15 year olds to read and just an endless endless novel where everything that happens is grim <laughs> apart from oh, that yeah. really good yeah, <laughs> yeah. i love it obviously <laughs> so how do teachers pick because there, there is a list of things they can pick from. yeah why would you go for, for such a depressing well, book when there's five or six others I mean, that yeah teachers pick uh texts that have clear themes they, t they pick texts that are, you know, because whilst whilst I might have been bored by Tess of the Durbervilles myself, at least you, you can't be in any doubt what it's about mm -hmm. as you go through and people are killing themselves, you know. Um, there's, there's I, I think a lot of it comes down to teachers teaching uh, texts that they're very familiar with and they're used to teaching. Yeah. Um, and that's why certain things have been on the, uh, the set text list, like an inspector calls, you know, for forever. Mm -hmm. um, there's also, I, like, I think the, by far the most popular 19th century text is um, Christmas Carol at the moment. And I imagine the main reason for that is because it's shorter than many of the other options. And there's and people are very familiar with the story and it's a great story. Well, when even the Muppets have done it, you don't have any excuse not to have seen at least Absolutely. one of the versions. <laughs> um, but that, so that's sort of the, 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 the interest for literature. The, the interest is, is the sort of uh, content side. Um, I suppose we could, if, if 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 it's useful, we could sort of dig into some of the some of the um, more exam technique side um, while we're while we're sort of talking about English literature. That would be useful. It is one of the things we get asked about the most is is English, so that would be good. Because um, I would say when it comes to sort of exam preparation, so the the the, the, the revision process, you've got sort of the as well as things like creating your own flashcards. Revision resources for on set texts. Well, there is there isn't. I, I'm I'm not sure how much value there is in a kind of generic English literature revision guide as much as uh, just focusing on set texts. And I would say, in terms of all revision guides, that the, the and all revision resources in general, the key thing that 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 parents and students I think should be looking for is efficiency. Um, in terms of because I, I did, we did a little uh, exercise a couple of years ago on how much time we think reasonably students might have to revise. And actually, when you boil it down, the chances of students having more than about 10 hours of revision per subject is negligible. And that even that is quite an ambitious target. 
So how do you could once you multiply it by 10 different subjects um, and you're doing it out, I mean, not including in school revision time and lesson time, which will be devoted to revision. Um, yeah, I mean, so we, what, what, we advocate starting really, really early, like as early as possible, because it adds better. up. But I think if you start in September and you do you know, a half hour block every day or something and then bump it up to two after Christmas and then a bit more, you can fit That's in a, great advice, a little yeah. bit more. But it's it's little and often you can't do it if they wait until, yeah. you know, February, March time to start revising in earnest. Yeah. And if you do that, you can use your revision to, to support your in-class teaching. That if you if you're if you have a revision resource that you're comfortable and confident with, you can look up in that uh, whatever material you're studying in class, and it might have a different presentation, or it might uh, you know jog your memory in a different way. Um, I, I mean, what the, the, one of the things that that I think is a risk is, and parents who want to be supportive of their kids can often go out and get a ton of revision resources, um, and you end up. You know with kids with a pile of four different revision guides on dust. Their, their desks and it's i i'm a big fan of i'm a big fan of, of printed resources because i think that they're much more accessible to students that that most distractions for students live on their phones and online and so being able to access material on the page um is a very familiar mode of accessing information but also we have natural skills of focusing in on the things that we need the most help with so if you're watching a youtube video of a particular skill you might have to wait four minutes until you get to the one piece of information which was the thing that was missing for you whereas if you've got a revision guide page you can scan 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 yeah i know that i know that ah this is the bit that i didn't know now i can spend four minutes just thinking about that um yeah. and a, a whilst whilst re exams remain on the page then practicing on the page and absorbing information on the page and reading information questions off the page is all good practice um, the other advantage of having a single resource that you're you're confident in whether that is a print resource or an online site is that you can be if it's well designed you can be confident that you've got complete coverage and no repetition yeah um, if you try and find uh, if you if you were if you're revising, I don't know photosynthesis, uh, and you just I mean worst case scenario you Google photosynthesis you're going to get nothing helpful. Um, you might go to a particular revision website that you know well and look for the photosynthesis section. That's usually going to work great. Um, but if you start going to more than one place, if you start if there's one YouTube presenter that you like and you like BBC Bite Size and you've got a revision guide, you're going to get the same information three times. Well now there goes the efficiency of your revision. Whereas if you've got one book or resource that you know and trust, then at least you can figure out how it works and figure out what the, the, the processes of it are. So um, another huge problem with web-based resources is uh, other tabs are available. So you're on YouTube and it doesn't take long to click on to, I don't know, I'll go with yeah. Facebook. The last thing I would want my teenager to be having, having be staring at when they're, when they're revising is that, honestly. Yeah. Um, I think it's just all of all of your distractions live here yeah. now, yeah. Um, and and there's you know although the practicalities of running out of data and you know not and running and needing a charger are lessening, they remain the case, mm -hmm. um, and you can still revise from a book on the bus. Um, and th I mean th there's yeah there are 
brilliant online resources and there are brilliant print resources. And right now, we still see an overwhelmingly greater demand for print resources than anything else. Um, because I think the security of knowing that like everything I need is right here. You know, this is like, this is, I, if I do this, then I'm done, um, is, is very reassuring. Mm. Um, and in almost all subjects, like knowing what to search for, knowing what to look for. I mean, you're a maths teacher, Emily. I was, I've got a maths teaching background as well. If the students knew what keywords to search for, then they'd have already won the battle. Only the most able students would know that they should search factorizing quadratics to know how to fact. But if you and if you know that, you probably know how to do it anyway. Tis true. Tis true. Um, and whereas the, the, the kind of the, the, the tutor model of like, I can't do that one is is much better supported by print resources because you've a or a past, you know, a past paper booklet with answers in the back, which a lot of publishers produce. Um, we produce a, a past papers series called past papers plus or practice papers plus where you have the, the question, but then you have like hints down the side and then a work solution in the back. But it just it gives you that kind of like, I can't do this. How do I draw a straight line to that? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say you were, you were talking about this earlier with the, the content versus the how do I then do the exams and those little hints down yeah. the side, certainly for maths. I spent most of A-level maths looking at the answer and then working my way backwards to Absolutely, try and figure yeah. out how to do the new thing because that works. That's a valid approach when it when it comes to maths. But knowing that is a very different thing. I always liken it to when you're learning to drive and you've got to do the learning to drive because you've got to be able to actually do the thing. But then when you get to your test, you've got to know that they want you to be like mirror, signal, maneuver, yeah. looking all over the place because th those are the boxes that you've got to tick at the time. So it's... Yeah that combination is is a powerful thing yeah and, and I, what, what you're speaking to there is, is sort of what, what i was going to come on to with the when we were talking about english literature which is that the, so the content side which so in terms of revision resources for english then then the books that that you get tend to be about each that the useful ones are the books on each set text york notes cgp has some there's you know there are tons of different providers who will uh, it'll be as the set text or the poetry anthology it'll it'll break down the key themes it'll do what we were talking about on the flashcards for you it'll give you the key quotes um so that's the content side and then the, the exam technique side is is uh, the biggest part of it is practice yeah. um and practice writing uh exam style questions practice doing it the way you're going to do it in the exam if you if you you might have gone through two years of writing your essays on a computer and then and then find yourself sitting down with a pen and paper in the exam and not having a clue how well, to even and, make your writing legible yeah because yeah. if, if nothing else actually sitting and physically writing for an hour and a half you get mm -hmm. hand cramps by the end of it if you're yeah. not used to doing it so that physical practice as well is um is yeah invaluable i mean making sure it's legible you can write the best answer in the world but if the examiner can't read it they're not going to try for that long to give you the marks if they're struggling I mean, to they, decipher your spidering across the page. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, and, and, and actually that, that process of, of what I'm, what, what I'm actually saying and that the, the marriage between what you've written and what you actually think and want to com communicate yeah. is a hard connection to make. And in terms of like 
support for a learner like if you've got time as a parent or a sibling or someone to or if you're lucky enough to be able to have access to a tutor then using those practice questions not as just summative exercises but as actual formative ways of developing your skills once you've written an answer read it back i mean if you can't if you don't have anyone to read it back to read it out loud yeah. read it into your phone because you might find that what that that when you read something out you're like oh that doesn't make sense oh well i, I made perfect sense to me when i was writing it down but now i'm reading it back i can see that that's nonsense um or have someone read it back to you if you've got you know mom can you read can you read this you know a good a good uh even a, the longest answer section of 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 a gcse a good answer is certainly going to take 10 minutes to read to read out loud um and it'll give you an understanding of like how your words sound and how your argument sounds which yeah. is also a valid technique then at the end of the actual exam itself uh, if you do have time reread yes. the answer because you might have written something that just makes no sense yes. <laughs> absolutely when you've got if your child uses a scribe for example so there are lots of parents who i know that their child gets either additional time or additional support in exams if your child has a scribe then getting them to articulate their answers to you is uh, is going to be a really really useful thing for them because that's what they're going to have to do in the exam and again you don't need to understand as a parent necessarily what they're talking about you'll have a vague idea of whether it makes sense or not and so yeah by the end of it so yeah. Well, so I think a, a, a good answer would probably be accessible to anybody, regardless of whether they were familiar with the material or not, because it would make a case. It would make it would, yeah. if it was a you know a literature question, it would make a case. If it was an English language descriptive writing, or creative writing, or persuasive writing exercise, I mean certainly the the the, the paper two stuff in English language of writing leaflets and letters and newspaper articles, parents will have a great understanding of, of how successful or otherwise that's been. Yeah, and it's something that parents quite often, it's a concern that we hear a lot is, I don't think I can help my child because I wasn't any good at X, Y, Z when I was at school, or I don't know anything about this particular subject. I didn't study that. And that's not what it's about. It's about being someone your child can explain it to. Because yeah. if you can explain it clearly enough to someone else, it means you understand it. Whereas sometimes you think you get something then you try to explain it to someone else and you just can't quite make it come out right. Yeah. That's when you know you haven't maybe got it as well as you thought you had. So there's plenty you could do as a parent, whether you feel like you know the subject knowledge or not. So, yeah. And, and one of the best questions you can ask yourself or you can ask uh, your learner if when looking at an, at an answer that they've had a go at is, does this answer the question that you were just asked? Mm -hmm. that that's that what I was speaking to earlier about just regurgitating the, the three quotes that you know and then trying to structure an answer around that is a, a pet peeve of examiners and doesn't characterize good responses you need to you need to read the question carefully you need to look at what it's um what in first of all what information it's giving you because a, a, a lot of the time the question will help you enormously um the final question on the on the um on the uh, paper two uh, AQA English Lit is the is un, unseen poetry and comparing two unseen poems, but the question tells you what the theme that the two that you're comparing between and the and the number of students who just skip that completely and just do a generic comparison of the yes. two poems, which is right there. It's saying it's saying compare how light and darkness is used in these two poems, or I can't remember exactly how they're phrased. Um, 
but it's a it's a relatively short answer response that if you're concise and answer the question you can get all the marks or you could waste time writing three pages of non-specific non-comparative you know describe one poem then describe the other no marks yeah um, and it's just about focus with my year 11s every year i would just write four letters at the top of the board and wait for someone to ask rtfq and they'd eventually be like what's that and you'd go it's read the full question <laughs> and they all know what you mean and they all think it's hilarious and then they remember so you just keep rtfqing them as they walk oh, into the exam the, maths, the number of the number of scripts where where the question asks for a length and the students give it something else uh, yeah you know it's yeah or state the units such an easy yeah. mark and they don't do it yeah when the boys went to school they had rtfq at the top of the screen as well same story but they had ffs at the start of it <laughs> which took a little bit longer for them to get we there we shan't but, go into indeed yes. So it's a really good, I mean, it, it leads into a, a, one of the, a, the really, a, a really good piece of sort of exam technique skills, which is, which is looking at, which is very useful for science, but equally useful for English, uh, which is looking at command words yeah. and looking at what the question is actually asking you to do. So, for example, in science, is the question asking you to describe something or is it asking you to explain it or is it asking you to evaluate it? Um, and it, it, unless you kind of have looked in a revision guide or your teachers yeah. told you, you don't really know. Those things mean different things in the context of different subjects. You're not supposed to know what that means, irrespective of, of, of the context. You're supposed to learn what that means you've got to do with those questions. So you've got to learn that if something says explain, you have to say what happens and why it happens. Yes. You've got to learn that if something says evaluate, you've got to come to a, a conclusion, make a judgment based on evidence. If something says compare, then you have to compare elements from both examples given. If yeah. something says, I mean, in, in English, uh, in when something said, when you've got an extract and that from a text that you know the whole of, if it says describe this question in the context the, or this extract in the context of the whole, um, I mean, it's amazing that candidates, well, it's not amazing, it's totally understandable in the stresses of an exam situation, but the candidates will still not do that part. They won't. They won't uh, extend what they extract to the context of the whole book, and you don't always know how much that may or may not hamstring you. You know, in some subjects that might be I don't have access to the top couple of marks, but in GCSE English that means you only have access to about a third of the marks yeah. if you if you don't do that contextualization, which is huge. So, yeah. so this comes back to technique and whatever the, the yeah. subject, make sure you look at the question and probably underline, yeah. highlight the uh, the key aspects of it. We've to got make sure a printable of the command yeah. words. So on parentguidetogcc.com yeah. under services, if you have a look, we've got the freebies section and we've got a printable of the kind of the, the more generic command words and, and what they mean, what they are asking you to do. So if that's yeah. a prompt for your child, feel free to grab that. Um, yeah, we've, uh, we've had a question, so I'm going to pop that one up. Uh, my son really oh. dislikes reading. Audiobooks are an option. However, how can I get him to engage with revision guides without using YouTube? That's a good question. Um, it's, there's not an easy answer, really, though. That's the trouble. There isn't an easy answer, although I would say if you've got, uh, I mean, if you've got, I'm going to, I should, this is, this is time for a plug. No, this is, uh, so this is, uh, this is the um, part of the Pearson Reviser. GCSE Maths Revision Guide uh, 
that I have used that one, I believe. Written by someone <laughs> school. Um, and uh, just one of the things that we stroke, we sort of strive to do is just to make everything as visual as possible. Yeah. Um, so just, which is trickier and so easier in some subjects than in others. Um, but there are, people do learn in a variety of ways. And so like for some people like graphs and charts are easier, for some people text is easier and for some people visual stuff is easier. Um, so it's, I would say for your particular learner, I would say try a variety of resources. Um, I mean, it's most of the, I think almost all the major publishers, if you go on Amazon, have a, um, a have look a inside. look inside yeah. feature. So you don't, you don't need to spend any money. Um, go go and look at a couple of different alternatives and uh, pull up the page and sit down with your learner and just say which you know which of these do you respond to which of these makes you want to any of them if not then maybe try look you know see if you can use the bite-sized website see if you can use there are some subscription-based rev revision options I as I said I I, I personally I, I I would tend to discourage a scattergun approach just because of that like it's just possible to waste so much time yeah trying to find relevant information watching the same things over and over again a lot of people who produce content online are having to produce content without a lot of time and resources behind it because it's harder to sell resources online and so they're often going for the the same low-hanging fruit of like of of, of the, the the more basic information that students need to learn um whereas if you get a a revision guide that's had a bit more time and resources put into it, you're probably going to get something that has drilled down a bit more into the details of what the examiners are looking for and what the student's actually going to do. Which is why I say about like understanding what's needed in each question. If a, if a revision guide tells you on page one, you're only going to be assessed in, spe in spelling, punctuation and grammar on question one of paper two. So don't spend endless time rereading and, and correcting your spelling on all the other questions. Then you know that that, that author has done the homework for you so you don't have to do it um yeah and that makes a because there's, you know, there's the, the, and and things like spelling punctuation and grammar quality of written commu communication they mean different things on different papers you know your your spelling punctuation and grammar is worth 20 percent of your english language exam but it's only worth i think five percent of your english literature exam and it's and it and and it, on both papers it's only assessed on part of the paper and in science although you've got certain questions that that are, that are flagged as assessing quality of written communication these longer answer questions it means something different in science it doesn't mean spelling the words correctly it means a cup in 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 lots of ways you can do it with bullet points you can do it with we can talk about science if we've got time but bullet points you can do it with headings um, um, yeah. One thing that I would say that I should probably, uh, having just thought of that, is that to try and find useful things that characterize all of these open response questions is um, planning answers is a really valuable tool. Um, now, that has to be taken hand in hand with time management in the exam, um, because obviously you really don't want to waste too much time writing detailed plans. Um, but planning doesn't even have to be on paper. Planning just means think before you write, um, which is the, 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 yeah. Yeah, the panic of getting the exam and being like, right, I've got to go and go and go and go. Um, and examiners say year after year, uh, especially in English, that, uh, that um, 
shorter, concise, in-depth responses will get a lot more credit than long, rambling responses. It's not the number of points that you make, it's the depth of understanding shown in those points. Yeah. Well, we do say that reading the examiner's report is, I think it's something that students should do because it gives you a window in on their, their mind yeah. about what they're looking for. Yes, it's going to be a different exam paper that you're going to be tackling, but at the same time, I think the themes for most examiner reports run year in, year out as to yeah. uh, the errors that students are making, the sort of the poor uh, answers. There's always a reason behind it. So, um, which probably I would say, I would say yes, but I would also back 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 to the efficiency point. I would say that is wading through an examiner's report uh, the best use of a fifteen-year-old's time, or could you delegate allow somebody else to synthesize it for you and yeah. put it in a form such as a revision guide or a revision result or a YouTube video or whatever you can find where the key points? Because I would say in every examiner's report, like. I, I would I, I would guess that a student wouldn't really know where to start and might get one or two useful bits of information out of an exercise that might take them half an hour and leave them more confused than than if they have access to that kind of those tips and hints elsewhere. Yeah. I was like for GCSE maths, I would say this having read dozens and dozens, every examiner's report for the last 10 years, I would say the one thing, if there was one piece of advice I would give for GCSE maths to all students it would be and it applies to some extent to science as well is write something for every question have a go at every question the number of candidates who do well having picked up a small number of marks on lots and lots of questions is overwhelming compared to the number of candidates who do well by having picked up all the marks on a handful of questions um, in 2023 we're going to have formula sheet uh, formula sheets again, uh, as we did during the pandemic. Um, I think this may or may not be the last year of that, who knows, but while we do for physics and maths, you can often get a mark just by copying the right formula Off from the, the formula yeah. <laughs> into the question spot. And those, those, those couple of handful of marks could easily be the difference mm. between one grade and the grade higher. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And the, I mean, the extended response in GCSE science, especially at foundation tier, I think something like half of candidates at foundation tier, roughly, gain zero marks on the six mark on six mark questions uh, in science, just because they're sort of perceived as being inaccessible, and uh, it's overwhelming. There's often an overwhelming amount given before the question, and then it, it just and, and then the answer space is really long, and that's scary. Yeah, but. Yeah, it's surprising the little bits that you can actually access and do. I mean, some of the five mark questions in, in maths can be, uh, you can get a mark sometimes for literally just going, there are two numbers in the question. What if yeah. I multiply them together and write out my working and show the answer? Why not? Do you know what? Yeah. Get you a mark if you've got the time in the exam. Yeah. It's worth doing. Which brings yeah. me, I think, to our another question. I'm not going to put this one up because it's very, very long. But um, are the, the sort of, the, the ones you get in revision guys, those kind of exam questions. So um, things that weren't actual exams, they are exam yeah. style questions. Uh, are yeah. they comparable? Should you, is it better to do a little bit of both? Should we just stick with past papers? That's uh, uh, so that's very much, the answer is very much it depends. If the book, if the resources are well written 
and well-researched yeah. and good resources and the authors are familiar with the exam style and make an effort to make their questions exam style, then yes, they are. Um, but there are lots of revision resources out there that uh, that make claim to do to exam style questions, which really aren't exam style. One of the biggest uh, problems with, for example, maths is that is that the level of challenge in revision guide questions is often too low. Um, so it's part it's partly about differentiating level of challenge. For example, in our workbooks, we give an indication of difficulty level with each question, so that each each page of the workbook will sort of work towards um, a, a more exam level question. Um, I, I, the trouble with past papers in isolation is that the student doesn't necessarily have access to the knowledge and skills they need to answer that question, and they don't necessarily know how to find it if they don't understand those keywords. So, for example, a question on solving a quadratic equation doesn't say solve this quadratic equation. Yeah. It says solve x squared minus four, whatever. Um, and so unless you know that that's a quadratic equation, you don't know what, how to look it up. You don't know how to look it up in YouTube. You don't know how to look it up in your revision guide. You've got no idea. Um, whereas if you're on a page on, I don't know. Okay, here we are, hard, hard quadratic equations. If you're on a page on quadratic equations and you're doing this question, then you know that the answer of the technique of how to do it is here. And in fact, the technique is here an example that's really similar is here with some annotations yeah. and the question itself is there and then the answer is in the back of the book. So that I think is where the benefit of doing questions from a revision guide really comes in is if the revision guide is well designed and the questions are well written then they will be of exam standard um, and, uh, and the material that the student needs to access needs to have to be able to access the question will be right there. Then I think exam style, full, like exam practice papers are absolutely imperative part of the revision process, but they often come later. Yeah, um, I was going to say the same thing. If you've got um, stuff that will lead, guide you into it earlier on and you save the actual past papers, particularly the more recent ones, because there are changes across the years, depending on which subject you might find. There are lots of past papers that, that will work like maths. Um, there have been minimal changes. It's only the odd few topics that we've introduced recently. There are some subjects where the specifications changed in the last year or so. And so mm -hmm. saving the past papers until they've actually theoretically learned all of the content, you should find that they can access them better. And also they can get hold of the, the mark schemes, which means they can then yeah. use those and work backwards. Which again, yeah, and I would say mark really schemes are definitely... Yeah. Mark schemes are, uh, uh, well, so in maths, certainly mark schemes are useful. They're useful. Uh, that One of the problems with, we've been talking a lot about extended response questions. One of the problems with mark schemes for extended response questions is that they're leveled. And so, and they're very generic. And so the, 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 the mark scheme will say, you know, writes a, a cursory answer, writes a, a sophisticated answer, not quite, you know, writes a more detailed answer. And th those things don't mean anything to students. And so again, like you could, you could go down a rabbit hole of wasting time on something that's less useful. Yeah. But I think that whether, whether it's, um, I think anything that you can do to use your past papers formatively, as I've said, is, is brilliant. Like don't think of them as a mock exam. 
um, they're only going to give you a score. That's not that's not helping you increase your score or improve your score um, or hit your target grade. Whereas if you if you get the marked response and then go through and work out why you didn't get it right, either with the help of the marked scheme or hopefully with the help of some model answers, if they if your teachers provided those for that exam paper, um, that's incredibly useful. Yeah, yeah, we we advocate that students because they can't always take home mock papers. Some schools are a little funny about it, mostly because of uh, teacher assessed grades over the last few years. It, we're, yeah. we're now a little bit more obsessive about keeping the evidence. But for the most right. part, they'll let you take a copy or um, if you arrange with the teacher beforehand and don't just whip your phone out in the lesson, because that's never a good plan. You can probably take pictures of the pages. There are apps that let you turn that into a PDF. We, um, I mean, we do revision checklists, like topic checklists for every subject by exam board as part of our GCSE toolkit. And we say, go back through your papers, whether it was a mock, whether it was just a test you did in class, whether it's revision. If you know you can answer that question, mark it off as green. It's something that you yeah. can then not worry about anymore. Mm. And you can see the progress you're making and that there are now less yeah. topics to do. If you got it wrong, mark it as red. You need to do a bit more time on that. Pop it on your revision plan. It's about not not taking mocks as as you said. It's not a judgment. It's not a pass fail. You get this many marks. It's a learning tool. It's another method of revision. So and you, I mean, if uh, hopefully schools are, you know, some schools are really good at giving kids packets of past of practice papers. Some schools are less good, but you can always go and download them for free from endless places. Um, places like Student Room, I think, have model answers available. You know, I yeah. probably shouldn't be plugging things that are that oh, are you know that are, that are sharing things that belong to exam boards that other people are sharing but, but they're really useful things so we should act or go and get them from the exam board website that usually only the last year's papers are locked so yeah. you you usually can't get the most recent series because teachers want to use it for mocks but yeah. the rest is available and you don't have to sit down and do it all in one go i mean those are really useful questions I, it's, it would be i wouldn't do a two-hour stint on maths as yeah. part of my revision. I do a couple of questions, and yeah. in my next session, do a couple of different ones. Yeah, it comes back to the reluctant reader from earlier. Um, they don't have to do a half-hour, forty-five-minute session of reading. Five minutes is a good start. Um, it's amazing yeah. what you can what you can get done in that time. Yeah. And once you've realised that five minutes doesn't kill you, that can easily turn into seven, ten, fifteen minutes. So. Um, yeah. And if your if your kid is not gonna if your kid is not gonna it's just simply not going to read all of Jane Eyre, which is a really understandable position to take as a fifteen year old, yeah, uh, then, yeah. then then do the audiobook version yeah. or the film version, and then get the study guide and talk about the themes, talk about the the characters, or you have access to all of that from having heard the audiobook and yeah, mm. yeah. yeah, it's um it's. It's finding the right thing because it's not one size fits all, is it? It's, um, you know, we can give all the advice in the world, but it's different for different kids. So, I mean, we had a question early on, which I would left on purpose. Um, tips on ways to adapt revision or exams or study techniques for a child who's autistic and struggles with working memory and executive functioning. It's, it's a big thing. I mean, the autism kind of side aside for a moment executive functioning is something that uh, a lot of kids with ADHD have issues with as well and it's we can't just go give your child half hour blocks of revision and it'll be brilliant because it doesn't work for everybody it's I think finding the right thing for your child so if if you know they'll happily watch things on YouTube find them a good person to watch on YouTube 
and have yeah. that be their go-to revision thing. Um, yeah. In terms of working memory, it's finding ways to work around that and uh, and getting them used to the fact that, you know, they can only remember small chunks of things. So let's just answer in small chunks. It's it's mm-hmm. practice and it's it's finding what works for you. And you can only do that by trying stuff. That would be my perspective on it. Yeah. Whether you've got... And if they respond, you know, if, if, if they respond to auditory things, then then you know, then talk through you know read questions out talk through responses um with all of these uh as like the first thing i said is that the is that subject knowledge and skills trumps exam technique every day so um if if you're in the extended response in science if you know understanding what is going on in a particular process is is much more important than how you exactly structure your answer so have them describe it to you, or have them describe it to a peer, or have them describe it to a, to a sibling. Um, in science, the, the longer answer questions are tied up with the practical uh, assessment. So the, the, their assessment of practicals is, no, is, is assessed in the exam, but they have to have completed a certain number of required practicals. But if they know how those practicals are carried out, that gives them access to quite a lot of marks in the exam. Uh, in relation to those practicals, because many of the questions around them are simply describe how to do this experiment. And there's a list of like however many it is, 10 experiments, more than that. Um, but but the, the, again, like uh, most revision guides, we have a page on each experiment. It describes, tells you the equipment you need, what you do, what you measure, what, what the outcome is expected to be. If you can ask your your learner to just tell, okay, so you're doing this experiment, you're doing an ink drop experiment, how do you do it? What do you, and those marks for, for the, 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 something that, that were for spelling, punctuation and grammar in English are now marks for structuring your answer, which in science simply means, can I describe the, the things in the right order often? So if I'm describing experiment, do I put the trolley on the, the ramp first and then set up the light gate and then I put the weight on the trolley and then I let go of the trolley and it rolls down the ramp and I take this measure that's it um and if you just if you tell me how to do it then you'll probably realize oh no wait that bit comes before that bit because otherwise it doesn't make sense yeah. really i can't drop it over until i've picked up the ruler yeah awesome right well unless we've had any more oh we have um Oh, possibly a useful note there so uh, my daughter's dyslexic did her english paper one mock the other day she said she checked by having Word read out her answers back to her. She was wearing headphones and, and uses a computer to write in the exam. Um, it's also worth noting, another thing we say for dyslexic learners is you can, things like Chrome, there's an extension Chromevox that will read out Chrome pages to you. So if you're, if Brilliant. they're trying to read some information on something you know, like maybe BBC Bite Size, there are options for them to be able to access the information without having to physically read it. And if for them, that's a useful workaround, and it even if it's just removing that barrier that's stopping them wanting to revise. You know, yes, they're going to yeah. have to do some reading ahead of the exam because that's how it works. That's what the system is. But if you can take away the barriers that have started them revising, which is usually the biggest issue, is getting started. Once they've started, Absolutely. it's not so bad. It's all about momentum. And I was, yeah. I, I, one one thing that I a piece of advice I I sometimes give is to is to try and if you're going to if you have any time to support your learner with their revision, mm-hmm. then do it early yeah. so that they can learn how to revise. 
from you or from a tutor if you have access to that or from a sibling if there's an older sibling who's done it before um, because back when I was doing GCSE maths it was in the days of open-ended tasks and I remember we had to we had I remember procrastinating for weeks you know and I was I'm, I'm pretty good at maths and I was procrastinating for weeks uh, but because I just and I would complain that my pen didn't work I would complain that my desk was untied I would complain about everything because there are, you put every barrier you can in place and it literally took my older brother sitting down with me and saying why don't you start by working out that and that was it and then I was off was it teams um, or stairs or whatever I, it was that you're thinking of here I was I'm, designing I'm a supermarket <laughs> whatever it was it was almost certainly something that has no bearing on my life <laughs> shockingly yes um oh yes um oh it's it's traumatic thinking back to coursework good grief right and, and the trouble, like something like a youtube video is a good way in for that mm -hmm. if if the student is engaging with it yeah. because the, the the ability to switch off during that and say well i've watched that so i'm done now yeah. and nobody gets anywhere if you can get something that the student can engage with for even like two minutes then they're probably off and they're doing it yeah. but and if, if they do engage with youtube videos but like then great but there, there has to be some way of checking that they're actually like engaging with that material because then it'll be then it'll be a jumping off point for useful revision mm. yeah absolutely so we've managed to whiz our way through a whole yeah. hour yeah. which is you know, just goes to show how much there is to talk about with all of this but i think there's been some yes. incredibly valuable stuff in there so a massive massive thank you uh, we really, really appreciate your time and hopefully that's given both parents and, and learners something to to go away and think about and start getting ready yeah to try and uh, persuade you to come back because uh, i think there's so much so much information <laughs> in there that we haven't managed to quite uh, yeah. have time for but thank you so much um brilliant thanks both i'm very happy to come back let me know all right well thank you very much again